Hello and welcome to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. This podcast does contain occasional strong language and adult themes. If you are averse to spoilers for the film that is listed in the title, please tune out now, go watch the movie, or, like us, stop at the intermission, watch the movie, and resume the podcast after. Thanks for coming along on this ride with us. Please enjoy. You once said that uh, you like to make an audience scream through technical means. What is it about an audience screaming that you like? Now, those are the kind of questions uh, that the film buffs like to ask. They expect an awful lot of the sort of material that I don't tell anybody. And it was a nightmare. It was an eye-opener. Ignorance. Sheer ignorance. You know, there's no confidence to equal it. I don't have any problem with enjoying a big blockbuster. I'm not a fascist of those boring art movies which when they are over you are glad that they are over and then you celebrate it just as a kind of a superstitious measure i will talk about it so that i don't have to see it again or whatever so in a way our, our broadcast was an assault on the uh, credibility of that machine we wanted people to understand that they shouldn't take any opinion predigested and they shouldn't swallow everything that came through the tap we had uh, Orson Welles, Albert Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Roman Polanski. We had uh, Antonioni. We did, it was unbelievable time to listen to these guys talk. Hello and welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I am joined by Garfield, a.k.a. Dan. How's it going? I feel like I'm living in clown world. Yeah, it is Clown World. You're right, Garfield. I guess it's time for me to make another lasagna. <sighs> anyway, uh, we're not here to be slightly depressed cartoons. We're here to talk about something. Movies! That's what it is. That's what it is. We're here to talk about movies. Ha ha! I remembered what this podcast is about. It's not about Garfield. Garfield was infecting my brains. Before we get into the movie we're going to talk about today, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite movie monster my favorite movie monster huh yes yeah now is this just limited to universal monsters or is this like ick the world is your oyster you mm. may answer any way you see fit okay then i've given you too much leeway i can tell probably your but, stunned uh, silence is very reassuring. <laughs> That's a movie all about monsters. Oh my, yes. Monsters, Inc. Good movie. I will say that I think one of my favorite monsters... Maybe it's just because I've got Lord of the Rings on the brain recently, but I, I think one of my favorite ones is still the Balrog from, like, a oh, Fellowship. Dude. The Balrog is so good, man. Yeah, like, everything that they did, like, all the visual effects that they made into making it look like like it actually existed i mean the cgi is kind of dated you can tell that it's not a real thing but all the work that they put into it including like uh, dragging cinder blocks on the floor to make it's like a gravelly roar it's, yeah for those of you who didn't watch the extended edition and all of the featurettes multiple times you're not a friend of the show hmm and strong words but i stand by it and it's like does it and it's design of like this uh the of this hellish abomination with uh the with uh demonic horns and f and flaming wings it's it's an iconic it's an iconic monster yes it is it's a very modern icon i would have to say of the universal monster movies i think if i'm gonna go that route 
I'd have to say honestly, like Dracula, like he's he, of the universal ones. He's he kind of is the coolest because they're the rest oh, of yeah. them. Like the mummy's pretty lame. Frankenstein, the best version of Frankenstein is in Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Or oh, for all you nerds out there, Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein's monster pushes glasses up. I don't care, nerds. It's still Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Sorry, Frankenstein. And then the Wolfman, uh, he's okay. He just, I don't know. Uh, I guess technically, if you count it, maybe the Invisible Man. The Invisible Man's fun, but he's not really, like, all that, like, you you never really think about him as being a universal monster, but he is. I actually really want to see the new Invisible Man, because I've heard it, the one that Blumhouse produced. I've heard it's really good. It came out in like 2021 or 2020, something like that. Uh, I've heard it's good. But anyway, regardless of that, uh, if we're going in the more like kaiju sort of Ah, if we're going kaiju, well, there are a couple of different ways you could go. Okay, I was counting like the Balrog is a kaiju sort of. It's a a giant monster, right? Ah, fair enough. That's that's what I was saying when I said kaiju. I know that you are a weeb, so I was using your vernacular. <laughs> no, the Balrog's really cool. I actually think, for me, it might be my favorite movie monster is, honestly, Alien from Aliens. Yeah, that's a solid pick. Um, or at least most of the, because there's a lot of variations of it. I actually really like the ones in Alien Covenant, like the proto-aliens, where they're like the white ones, where it's like, oh, this is cool. I don't think they're as cool as the regular, like, xenomorphs, but, like, as the proto-xenomorphs, they're really cool. Mm-hmm. I definitely like that sort of, like, Geiger-esque sort of style when it comes to that sort of monster. Uh, if we're talking about bigger than the alien, of course, any sort of form of the kraken. Yeah. I like it when there's a kraken or a giant squid, like in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, or a kraken, like, from Pirates of the Caribbean, what is that, two, three, two, I think? It's it two? two, because, yeah. like, in like in three, it gets killed off screen. Oh, that's right, that's right. Spoilers. Spoilers! Um, but yeah, no, I like the kraken from that one. Like, any sort of, like, kraken-y thing is cool. Yeah, squid monsters are usually at least a little bit cool. Yeah, or, ooh, another another good kraken uh, from movie, it from The Road to Bali, Bogaten. Bogaten. Hey, but- where does he hang? No, it's, uh, who's he running with? <laughs> Great movie, by the way. I rewatched that not that long ago. It's yeah. a very good classic. Indeed. Though, I suppose if we are going with the more traditional, like, uh, universal monsters, I'd actually say, like, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Because oh. it's one of the more, like, unique ones of those. That's tr- I always forget about that one. But it is, like, sort of a very, it's a unique but very iconic look. I think that... Like, of the movies of that style, I do think the sort of, like, the, the Draculas are the better movies. Oh, certainly. But the creature from the Black Lagoon really is sort of a... Yeah. It feels even more of, like, a B-movie than the other ones, and they're all kind of B-movies. Yeah, but I just really like the uh, the design aesthetic and the, like, the actual monster that is the creature from the Black Lagoon. That one's a good one. I, I, I completely forgot about that one. Yeah, no, I like that one. I mean, I'm going with the very safe choice of Dracula, mostly based on the fact that I I think that it's the better objective monster just in general when it comes to the movies he's been in. But you're right if you're if you're talking about uniqueness, I definitely think yeah, no, the creature from the Black Lagoon is very unique, and it's probably the most. I mean, because like the closest thing we have nowadays is, and it's not even like on film; it's like Swamp Thing. Yeah, 
um, which again, Swamp Thing, one of my favorite sort of DC uh, comics, or well, it, it is DC now. I think it was before DC. It was it was picked up or merged. It was something else, but. I mean, you can say that for a lot of properties. Yeah, but um, it is basically one of my... Like Captain Marvel. No, not that one. <laughs> no, not that one. Yeah, there's like eight of them, aren't there? And they're oh, all yeah. like... You mean the DC Captain Marvel? Uh, basically, yes. <laughs> Used to be owned by like uh, Fawcett Comics, I think it was called. Yeah, just really confuse the hell out of people. Yeah, I love Captain Marvel. I love Captain Marvel. She's <laughs> my favorite DC character. What? <laughs> That's that's great. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I also like. I don't know. Did you ever play? So I wanted. To, I I kind of want to like try this now that it's an older game and I have a better PC. Did you ever play? Speaking of like kaiju and stuff, did you ever play Evolve? No, I have not. I was tempted to play it at one point, but I never actually ended up getting it. So like for those who don't know, Evolve was like there was like this whole big thing, and I think it fell off the map because like it's a very non-standard co-op slash multiplayer game, where it's. The format is one versus four or three, and you can choose different classes of humans, but one person plays the monster, who starts off small, and the hunters have a better chance of like finding it and killing it when it's small, but if they don't kill it, it gets big and becomes a kaiju. Yeah. And then you have to basically fight it, and whoever, you know, obviously one side wins and one yeah. side loses. I kind of want to try it again now that I'm thinking about it, because that monster, the design of that monster was really cool. Yeah. I mean, they had several monsters that you could pick. Well, the base uh, one was pretty cool. Yeah. From what I understood, it ran into financial problems, eventually tried to go free to play, and then... And like, then people, uh, like, hated it, and then it, like, and it, then the it, development sort of fell off, and then yeah. there's no one who really supports it anymore, as from yeah. what I understand. Much like Battleborn. Oh, Battleborn. Oh, Battleborn. I firmly believe that Overwatch really killed it, and it's a very it's a shame because it really Battleborn was so ahead of its time, like being an actual first person MOBA, like mm -hmm. a real actual first person MOBA. Because like, man, it was very fun, like just the campaign itself and the actual like multiplayer like stuff elements in it. I never got it because I I didn't realize that it was a MOBA until too late. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm trying to PvE over here when I should have been PvPing so that I can level up to PvP later. Yes. Or PvE, whatever, yeah. however I'm saying you're, it. You're trying to PvP when you should be PvEing first. Yes. But just the straight up multiplayer was cool too, and the campaign was good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about games, we're here to talk about a movie, I guess. Unless you had any other honorable mentions of monsters in movies. Uh I mean, I have several, but we'd be here all night, so let's uh, let's continue on. Okay. So, I'm going to read you a summary for the movie that we are talking about tonight. A sadistic shogun sends several shady slayers to survive scabrous skirmishes and struggle to be the sole soldier standing. It's 13 assassins. Nice alliteration. I know. I I was like I'm I was trying to figure out like what is the plot? It's called 13 Assassins. Literally, the plot is there are 13 assassins and they try to kill someone. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that, that sounds about right. Uh, but I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like, it, it literally sounds like what it is. I'm like, oh, I'll just do some alliteration and make it sound like a battle royale. So this is a, a Japanese film directed by Takashi Miike, the <laughs> legendary Takashi Miike. It's from 2010. And it really, it is, it is basically just, it's a movie about 13 assassins try to kill an evil shogun. Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of the plot of it. So I don't know. Have you ever seen a Takashi Miike film? Uh, not as of such. No. Okay, so this will be your first Takashi Miike film. So that's, I was going to say, um, he's not necessarily like to kind of give you an idea. So I know that I've, I have on this show done one other film uh, by him. It was Blade of the Immortal. I've seen a fair amount. Um, he's done other movies such as like Audition. And man, I'm blanking on a bunch of the movies that I've seen. But uh, Ichi the Killer is another good one. <laughs> but there's a lot of movie that he's that he's done. And he spans genres, right? This man is prolific. And he like puts out like just movies like gangbusters. So I think it's going to be a treat just simply because um, I've been very much recently in the mood for um not just sort of like sword and board fantasy but also just sort of like period piece like like sword fight films i rewatched recently not super long ago but within the last six months yojimbo yeah. and then i well, which is kurosawa and then i actually rewatched about a week ago seven samurai um and then i also saw recently the north man i've been really in the mood to watch like spartacus again um, I, so I've really been in that mood of like, I want to see, and I want to watch like Blade of the Immortal again. I've been really in the mood for just like dudes hacking each other up with swords. And this movie seems as far as I can tell, like it's going to be that way. Um, so I guess I only have a, I only have two trivia questions here. So I guess we'll go ahead and do that. And then we can maybe get more into sort of, I guess maybe your experience with these type of films, but I'm really excited to see this movie. Do you have any, before you go into trivia, is there anything you want to add to any of that? No, I'm, I think I'm uh, pretty blank on that front. So let's begin the trivia. Okay. Question number one, the opening of this film is what? Is it a, an homage to Kurosawa's seven samurais opening sequence B, a direct shot-for-shot shot of Mike's favorite American Western, Rio Bravo. Hmm. Or is it C, a shot-for-shot shot of the original 1963 13 Assassins? Oh, this is going to be a tough one. I mean, hmm. I don't know. Kurosawa is a very, very prolific uh, director. I feel like... That seems like the kind of thing that a guy would do if they were going to, like, a, referencing the Seven Samurai just seems like the kind of thing a person would do. On the other hand, doing a shot-for-shot shot remake of the original 13 Assassins also seems like it. I'm gonna go with C. C? You're correct! It was a shot-for-shot shot of the opening sequence of the 1963 13 Assassins, which I don't... I didn't write it down who actually did the original, but it was... Um, a fairly well like liked beloved um uh, japanese sort of cinema classic however it doesn't seem like it really got any sort of traction here in the west mm -hmm. uh it was overshadowed by a lot of like kurosawa's films so he kind of got imported but this guy the director of the original 13 assassins seemed like he kind of stayed over in there japan. in japan although this is a fairly well liked property Fair uh, allegedly so this is a remake of an old samurai film so that's number one thing. So I guess we'll do number two. We'll see if we can get this, this trivia out of the way and then we'll, we'll move on. But um, how long did it take Mike to finish principal photography for this film? Was it A, three weeks, B, five weeks, or C, seven weeks? Given the fact that he's done hundreds of movies, 
I'm going to say three weeks. You're correct. You got both answers right. Holy shit, that's a first for this uh, for this one. Yeah. See, it seems I have brought honor upon this household. You have brought honor upon, upon yourself and your household. It was three weeks. He filmed this whole movie in three weeks. Holy shit, that's fucking insane. I imagine that this has to just be like the, a marathon. Like whenever you're working with Takashi Miike, because that, that is sort of the his MO, is that he just cranks out movies. And he just does them like, oh, Oh, we were, we were done filming this movie like like two weeks ago. I'm already filming like my second movie in like two months, you know? And it's like, <laughs> it's like, what are you even talking about? He is just like a workhorse of a, of a director. And it's not like, and it's funny because like you've never seen a Takashi Miike film, but they're not like low budget films. They all have a good production quality to them. Mm-hmm. Like they all have a gravitas. Like they're, like I haven't seen, obviously I haven't seen all of them. Because he made hundreds of, he's made over a hundred films, feature films. That's not counting the TV shows he's directed, the shorts he's directed, and he's done actually a lot of those too. <laughs> oh boy. Um, the man is inexhaustible. It must be like running a marathon working with this man. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Because like I said, I, I have, I've by no means seen the width and breadth of his, of his uh, directorship. Because he like, he'll do like, teen drama films he'll do superhero films he'll do yakuza gangster films he'll do weird um weird extremely visceral horror films he'll do period pieces clearly like we're seeing today he'll do weird fantasy films again blade (laughs) of the immortal he'll do weird just off off the wall uh he'll uh because i think he also did um god i can't remember like he'll do i think he does like kids movies he even does kids movies dude (laughs) Oh man! Like musicals. He does it all, and I, again, I have not seen the width and breadth of this man's back catalog, but everything I've seen so far has at least been fun. He feels to me like he's very much like in a similar vein of like, to give you an idea of his style, he's kind of like the somewhere between like a Robert Rodriguez and a Quentin Tarantino, depending on the day. Hmm. Like he'll do, you know, like Robert Rodriguez does. Like, oh yeah, he does. Um, planet terror but then he also does spy kids like (laughs) yeah you know it's sort of that feel of movie where it's like oh and then like you know he also can do like tarantino where it's like he does like a weird out there movie about assassins doing weird things uh but then he also does like this period piece like uh that's like fairly straightforward like um the hateful eight like it's Mm -hmm. he has that sort of like very much similar feel of like those two directors Mm. Do you think that God lives in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he has created? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. He's, just, he's the dude. Yes. <sighs> anyway, so what what are your experiences with, I guess, live action? Because this is a... This feels like this is very much up your alley, but I don't know how much it is. Because I've recently been re-watching, and I, again, by no means, because Kurosawa is a very pro- prolific auteur... Um, I did rewatch again probably his two most at least known classics, which are Yojimbo and um, and Seven Samurai. Although he's got a lot of others that are just maybe arguably better. Although I've I've seen those two and I've seen um, I think one other main one. I can't remember which one it was now. God, I'm trying to think of which one it was. But you watch, unlike me, you watch a lot of anime. Yes, I do. So 
Um, and Mike has done anime adaptations. Yeah, I believe uh, be, I believe you said in your episode that Blades of the Immortal was one. Yeah, Blade of the Immortal is uh, an anime or a manga adaptation. I think there was also an anime too, but I'm not sure if he based it more on one or the other. Don't know. Um, but what is your general experience with sort of like this, the sort of like Asian, specifically Japanese cinema, uh, live action or I guess cartoonish? What 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 do you what do you look for when it comes to that sort of, like, genre? Well, I'd have to say that uh, when I'm looking at, like, uh, anime specifically, it depends on how I'm feeling usually. But, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was not expecting this question. Hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe I can rephrase that another way, right? Mm-hmm. What is, or at least to maybe take it in a slightly different direction, what is your, what are your thoughts on samurai films? Well, on samurai films, well, to be honest with you, aside from, like, maybe, like, one or two anime that I have seen, most of my actual experience with uh, samurai films, quote-unquote, actually comes from westerns. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that. Well, again, because I guess the, the most obvious one is, oh, The Magnificent Seven is literally just a direct western remake of Seven Samurai. Basically. And Star Wars, I guess, because well, that yeah. has, like, tones of Hidden Fortress. But... Yeah. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know what? Hidden Fortress might be the other... Because that, that's, um... That is a Kurosawa, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I think that's the one I've... The other one I've seen. Uh, I, I can't recall off the top of my head. It's been so long since I've seen them. I saw most of these in college, so... Um, I was going back and rewatching a few uh, that I wanted to see. But, yeah... No, it, that's kind of funny that you say that because I actually have never seen. So, did you have you seen the the um, I guess the original because there's a remake of the remake now of the Magnificent Seven. But have you seen the original Magnificent Seven with Yul Brenner? I have seen it, but it's been a while, so I might be missing. I've miss actually never seen things. that. Really? Yeah, I've never seen the Magnificent Seven, but again. Like, you see the influence, because I was actually re-watching the, uh, the Seven Samurai not that long ago, and I'm just watching this, and I'm like, man, it really is such a masterpiece, and so many movies have literally just taken, like, I, I almost was going to say, um, at the end of it, my impression was like, man, every movie is just Seven Samurai, isn't it? It's literally <laughs> just, it's so influential, that you can see, like threads of seven threads of seven samurai in, not just like the action genre and the western genre, but like you see it in like other sort of like, you know, dramas and th some thrillers even. Like you can see little bits there because it really does have a bit of everything, even romance. Mm -hmm. Like there's even a bit of like you could probably even argue and say that like there's probably some rom-coms out there that probably lean on a lot of the sort of like tropes that were in the seven samurai because there are actually some rom-com tropes in it because it's meant to be a little bit comedic because there's this whole subplot of like you know the youngest guy who's not really a samurai basically falls in love with this guy with this woman who's being disguised as a boy uh and stuff like that mm -hmm. um but despite that falls in love and yada 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 and they disgrace their families and whatnot but there's like this whole like and it's some of it's meant to be comedic and some of it's meant to be lighthearted, but some of it's also meant to be like a serious thing like 
every movie is just literally a remake of the seven samurai that's 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 what i'm saying here so fair enough um realistically my question probably would have been correct that the first trivia question was if you would have said it's an homage to kurosawa's seven samurai opening sequence you probably wouldn't have been wrong fair enough but yeah like most uh, samurai films from my understanding usually don't even really like uh feature samurai because like samurai are kind of like uh the ancient like uh they're basically knights right where they follow uh, they follow a lord's law to the letter they keep the peace quote unquote in their lands and test their blades on the peasants because fuck those peasants but mm-hmm, most mm-hmm. samurai films actually focus on a wandering warrior or what's known as a ronin essentially a uh, mercenary type of uh, mercenary type of guy like imagine you're clint eastwood Except Asian and with a katana instead of a instead of a gun. Yeah. So the basically the Asian version of Clint Eastwood is Toshiro Mifune. Basically, yeah. who plays again uh, one of the samurai in Seven Samurai, as well as the titular character in Yojimbo, which is just means bodyguard. So <laughs> just a movie about a bodyguard. Maybe maybe I'm generalizing, but it seems like he is very much the sort of go-to actor when it comes to like a Kurosawa era film. <laughs> Because uh, he's in just so many of them. And, and like, he's he's just such a, a really cool dude. Like, you, you look at him and you're like, man, that guy's cool. Yeah. Like, you know he's cool. It's like that episode from The Simpsons where it's, like, Yakuza and the, the Italian mob are fighting in their front yard. And, like, Homer's watching and there's, like, the little guy standing and he's like... And Marge is like, come away from the window. He's like, oh, but you know as soon as I leave, the little guy's gonna do something cool. And then he walks away and, like, you hear, and then he's like, oh, because the little guy is doing something cool. He's doing something cool. Um, That's literally what, like, Toshiro Mifune is in, like, literally every movie that I've seen him in. Um, (laughs) He's just the cool guy. Fair enough. Um, But, or at least he's he's the cool guy who has kind of a sense of humor, too, Um, which, again, Clint Eastwood kind of has that, like, sort of a little bit of that whimsy about him in some roles. Like a lot of times he is pretty straight laced, like grumpy gruff guy, but he can pull off like fun. But um, I think to me, like, yeah, samurai films and Westerns, they are very much of a similar flavor um, because again, the, the whole like, but they're very, they're very different in a certain way, just simply because like a lot of samurai films do have, they do have that sort of wandering quality they are on the land like the peasants are kind of viewed as sort of the land because again fuck those peasants sometimes not sometimes you get a generous ronin who like in seven samurai who basically we're going to defend the people yeah but we're, we're not doing it for free um but then you know they become heroes and yada 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 um yes but i i i definitely like the vibe that they give they they have a certain like vibe that westerns don't and westerns have a vibe that these guys don't Westerns are much more intrinsically tied to sort of like the land, the um, the sort of like your sort of individuality and, and honor there. Whereas like um, your honor as a man, whereas like in sort of like the Ronin, the, 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 the Japanese version of that, it's like, no, this is this is my honor as like a warrior. But like if I'm not beholden to a lord, like, I have less honor, so I have more to prove. Like, it's the chip on your shoulder versus, like, I'm out to survive. So there's there's definitely some key differences there. Um, and I think there's just something unbearably cool also about, like, the sort of gunslinger mentality when you don't have a gun. 
and all you have is the sword. Like it's yeah. it's even more somehow more macho because it's like, oh, I have to get really close to this guy and I have to be really fast. Yeah. Well, they can't. It, you can't beat the shit out of them without getting a bit closer. Yeah, like um, again, I'll, I'll go back to Yojimbo, uh, or even like Blade of the Immortal. There's like you know where uh, Yojimbo, uh, the bodyguard, at the beginning of the, towards the beginning of the movie, basically fights like twelve guys and kills like two of them, and they all just back off because like, oh no, this guy is way too much. Yeah, he he's the real deal. Or like at the beginning of Blade of the Immortal, where literally Manji, the hundred killer kills a hundred men by himself fair enough uh which that's again just one of the reasons why you need to see that movie because it's the guy is called the hundred killer and you see it i intend to trust me um which i think that's really what like mike does especially it's kind of hard to talk about sort of like how mike does a film just simply because he does it so differently every time but i think blade of the immortal is probably a good sort of litmus test of man i've seen the action in that it's going to be perfect and going forward like i'm just excited to see what he does with this remake because i did see sort of incidentally sort of some of the trivia for this and i couldn't really make it into a question but he tried to use as little cgi as possible in this so he tried to keep it as like sort of like the sets are real the the action is real all of that and it's 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 meant to be a very sort of realistic um throwback to the old style ronin samurai sword and board epics of like the kurosawa age like the 50s and 60s of japan so again Hmm. since i'm very much in a in a that mood of film right now i think i'm really gonna like this i don't know what what other thoughts do you have on like i don't know samurai films versus westerns i know you haven't really seen a lot but do you have any thoughts in general about them well, I mean, yeah, you're right. The uh, the mentality between like a samurai film and a western film is inherently different, if only because they come from like basically two nearly entirely different uh, schools of thought. Where you've got uh, like uh, the Japanese, they are very much built on a system of honor to the point where I'm a like honor and hierarchy. I think are yeah. two of the biggest things there. Yeah, like uh, being beholden to a lord and uh, keeping your honor are very important things. I know there's like a, like if you compare like even like China to Japan, like they both have a concept of a thing called like filial piety, where it's basically like you are beholden to somebody better than you. In Japan, this refers to your like, uh, to like your lords, your, uh, the people who are in charge of you. In China, on the other hand, it's uh, the to your like uh, father to the point where like uh, betraying your father in China is seen as like a capital offense almost. Well, like, whereas uh, betraying your father in Japan can be seen as a good thing as long as you're doing it for, for like your Lord. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you point that out too, because one of the episodes that we did on this show where we watched the drunken master legend of the drunken master, <laughs> that movie has like a scene where you do have a betrayal of filial piety and it is like it's weird for us to see this in a movie like he basically is essentially disowned like he almost like he is like extraordinarily like distraught over this sort of betrayal to his father and like to us in the west it's like okay yeah like you you kind of like did a thing that like is sort of bad but like it's not that bad but like over there it is 
versus like you know again in a in a, a traditional american western really the um the filial piety isn't necessarily there what it is is it's a sort of it's more of an ambition than anything your honor is like to yourself like if you 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 ha you are not beholden to anyone because you are a rugged individual in this rugged land um whereas you know the the land can play a part which is why a lot of times i think it's it's very fair to compare a samurai film to a western because they have a lot of the same threads but yeah. i don't think that a true american western can necessarily be the same as like a true sort of samurai film um or even like a you know a a karate film uh like a kung fu film yeah um just simply because the like the mindsets are so completely different because again you can have uh, i think we discussed in the blade of the immortal episode there is sort of a there's a lot of westerns there it, it's kind of like blade of the immortal is actually closer to true grit mm -hmm. in in theme and in, in theme essentially in story than than anything but at the same time you really have their sort of versions of the land as a character that you're struggling against is not necessarily the same as like in true grit. It, it, there's a lot of parallels there, but yeah. I think there's enough differences to where it's like, you can be in the mood for a Western, but not be in the mood for a samurai film, but you can be in the mood for a samurai film and not be in the mood for a Western right now. I'm kind of in the mood for both. Like I'm very much like fluctuating back and forth, but there's so many sort of like key subtle differences. And I think the the thing that makes them at least for us in the West that makes them nice and fresh for each other to go back and forth is because there are such cultural differences yeah. that they make them feel, even though sometimes, you know, I've never seen the Magnificent Seven, obviously, but I've seen movies that are kind of like, kind of like the Seven Samurai. I've seen movies that are kind of like Yojimbo. I've seen movies that are kind of like all of these other things, right? Like again, um, uh, Blade of the Immortal kind of has an analogy to true grit. Yeah. It's basically kind of the same plot but they're so completely wildly different in like themes and tones at certain points because of the cultural differences yeah. just because of like and even just like the action sequences themselves like it's a gunfight usually versus a um you know a sword fight yeah and as we both know like two entirely different things yeah like i mean sometimes like like kurosawa will have gunpowder in his films like seven samurai famously has like the bandit group has three muskets and that's yeah. like a big plot point well yeah because like at one point in japan's history like basically the danes brought over like gunpowder from europe and suddenly it's like holy shit we've got guns now and like all the lords were trying their best to gather up all the guns become the most powerful people in japan yeah um which i guess was also part of the whole like plot of like the the, the last samurai with tom cruise wasn't it probably anyway i don't know but yeah and also the land is important in both of a, in both a western and a samurai film but like whereas both of them kind of have the same like uh they're important because they uh bring life to the people to a certain extent it's also radically different because like in most samurai films from what i understand the land isn't actually like trying to kill you like you might run into I, a wild wolf at some point yeah i but... think the land in, in in like a lot of samurai films is meant to be like subservient yeah it's like basically this you is important this is important because this belongs to somebody else somebody that's very important whereas in like uh, westerns you can have that but the land is also important because, like, this is where people live. This is, uh, 
like uh, there's a lot of dangers out in the land enough dangers that you might you do not the wrong even... thing it'll kill you yeah you do the wrong thing it'll kill you yeah whereas like again in in uh, i'll bring it back to like seven samurai they use the environment to their to their advantage basically they food is very important like you know the rice you know the sake and stuff like that it's very important to the people who grow it even though like the peasants are not really that important um they're very much seen as sort of like crafty shifty but also sort of wise sort of people that sort of tend the land which is again in the hierarchy of things it's you know the land is respected but it is still worked by the peasants and the peasants are you know worked by their lords and the lords are you know this and their samurai are fitting into it there's a definite hierarchy whereas like again in a western it's like it's it's you versus the land buddy like yeah. good luck you might find some friends for a while yeah. but like who buddy or or maybe even like you versus the land versus like uh, versus somebody else yeah yeah even like you're adding you're adding shit on top of shit yeah um versus like the samurai films where you're sort of stepping out of that like i'm sort of acting up here where i shouldn't be or i'm acting down here where i shouldn't be in the hierarchy but there's a reason for it uh, it's all very interesting uh, and i'm sort of interested to see where this sort of falls because again this movie is essentially about 13 assassins who are trying to kill this um you know e like evil shogun or lord or something yeah and so it's a very much a and i think it's described as like it's a suicide mission quote unquote so there's also threads of even maybe like the dirty dozen in here too maybe. so i wanted to bring that up as well because there might also be sort of like bits of that there where it's yeah. like you know we're spending a lot of time meeting these characters going through and i think that's what again like you see a lot of that in these in these films where you'll see like a few gunfights here and there, some people demonstrating skills, but then it all leads up to like the big gunfight or the big confrontation. Sometimes it's in multiple steps. Sometimes it's like, you know, this part of the confrontation happens and then there's a rest and there's this, but usually it culminates in like the gunfight, the sword fight, the battle at the end of the movie. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to go and what it's going to play out as. I, I obviously haven't seen 13 uh, Assassins, the original. I've seen Seven Samurai. Uh, a lot of them die. Uh, I'm assuming not everyone makes it out of here. I've seen the Dirty Dozen. Like, they don't... I, I don't... I think there's like maybe one or two that survive in that, if any. I don't remember actually, come to think of it. There are a couple that survive, definitely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very much thinking of like something like that. This is almost too like a war movie. Because like sometimes like the, the 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 samurai films can be like war movies too. I don't know. Well, well, yeah, because more so than westerns. Yeah, because samurai are ostensibly soldiers that uh, that that fight in a war. They usually work for a uh, shogun. Shogun are basically generals in the, the in like uh, the terms of the hierarchy. And while there is technically a guy above them known as the daimyo, who is basically like the lord of the land. Because the shoguns have military power, they're usually the guys running things. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm expecting this to at least be very entertaining uh, from a just a, uh, a standpoint of there's probably going to be some cool fights. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess, I don't know, do you have anything else you want to say about samurai films or anything in general? Or do you just want to go watch this and see what you think? I'd like to watch this, but first let's rate this. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll rate it and then we'll go ahead and break your seal when it comes to uh, uh, Mike films and we'll see what you think. So Mike generally to me is just so 
so good at what he does, no matter what he does. I think I can't give this, I probably won't give this less than like, less than a 3.5. I think this one is going to be, and because I'm in the mood for stuff like this, I think it's probably going to be a 4, maybe a 4.5, but I'm going to say 4. Well, I'm going to put this at a 3 for now because I don't know what I'm going to rate it, but I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised. All right. Well, I guess with that said, uh, we'll see you on the other side and we can talk more about uh, 13 Assassins. See you later. の太平は保たれる。ことびのことを気を読んでおろうな。手前にはできることがあると思う。赤石藩主松平成次様お命を捨て大事を成す時が来た。And welcome back to the Movies We've Never Seen podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined by Dan. How's it going, Dan? It goes well. It goes well. I'm glad it goes well because we just got back from watching 13 Assassins from 2010, directed by Takashi Miike. Uh, and before we get into it, because I know I've been sort of lax about doing this, before we rated this movie on the on the first half, you gave it a tentative three of five Snake Pluskins, and I gave it a tentative four of five Snake Pluskins. What did you think of this movie? What did I think? I think I liked it pretty well myself. There are only a couple of things that I really found uh, really bad. Like, for one thing, the CGI. Which, don't get me wrong, I kind of get why it's bad. Like, Takeshi Miike is an insane is an insane man who films movies in three weeks. So, there, I get why the CGI was bad. To be fair, there really wasn't a lot in this movie. It's true. There was very little. Uh, and in fact, I, for, I think I may have mentioned this in the first half. I don't think I did. I actually wrote it down, but I didn't mention it. Part of the trivia that I found that I couldn't really work into a thing, there were no major CGI effects in this movie. There were just some touch-ups, like, on the back end. 
So, yes, I there were a few moments where it's like, you know, there was a horse being thrown into a ravine after an explosion. That was a bit weird. Yeah. Um, and also, like, the bulls that were lit on fire. The bulls that were lit on fire were a bit much. Yeah, they were They were the obvious. I think they were, they were actual real bulls, but the fire was definitely, like, they didn't actually light bulls on fire, which... To be, to be actually fair with this, if any director was going to take a bunch of bulls and actually light them on fire for a movie, it would be Takashi Miike, I feel. Fair enough. He he is the one director who I'm like, no, that's perfectly reasonable for him. In fact, it's probably one of the more reasonable things he's ever done. <laughs> fair enough. It's like, it's like, yeah, he probably paid the farmer handsomely for those cows. And they probably ate them after the fact. So it's like, yeah, the cows were in horrible pain. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, like, <laughs> I guess if you're really against, like, animal abuse, then yeah, sure. But, I mean, I am too. Don't get me wrong. Like, you shouldn't do that to cows. But, like, are they people that you're actually lighting on fire? Because I think he actually did light people on fire in that movie, though. Probably, because there, there were definitely there were people, people on fire. There were people on fire, and it looked real. So he did light people on fire, not cows, which is, again, something that I didn't really... I thought he would do both. Hmm. Anyway, sorry. So the CGI effects were a little bit weird, yes. that The very few that were there were weird, but dear God, the practical effects. They, they built an entire town and blew the whole thing up, dude. Indeed. That was impressive as hell. Oh my, yes. Like, the actual effects that they had on screen were all, like, mostly magnificent. And even, like, I mean, I can't see any way they could have practically cut that one guy's head off when he was committing uh, Parakiri. So, I guess that might have been CGI? No, they literally just killed a man. Ah, fair enough. Should have known. No, that... Well, yeah, what... But it, even if that was CGI, that, that one was actually, like, that was good. That was a very good actual effect. Or at least CGI effect in the film. Because, yeah, it... it it looked great. Oh, yeah. On the whole, this uh, I received this movie much more positively than I did negatively. What about you? I think that this might be... And I know I've said this with the last few Takashi Miike films that I've seen. This might be my favorite Takashi Miike film. And hmm. Blade of the Immortal is really good, dude. Yeah. It, it's so good. Like, this... The only reason I hesitate to say that it's my favorite is that Takashi Miike does such a wide variety of films. Is that Blade of the Immortal, while it does have a... Like, the beginning of Blade of the Immortal. Do you, have you seen it yet? I have not. No. So, I won't spoil too much, but basically the movie starts out black and white. Ah. So, it's very much like an old, like... It's extremely re reminiscent of, like, Yojimbo. Mm -hmm. Except he fights, like, a hundred men. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh... But, but basically, like, that movie, it leans a lot into sort of, like, supernatural. It feels very comic booky. This movie was 100% like a, an old-style Kurosawa-type epic, right? It felt like that. It just felt like a much more modern version of it. I really loved everything about this movie. The two things that I will say about this movie that I... And I'm not sure that it wasn't... if It was stuff that I didn't necessarily like. The setup was a little confusing at first mm -hmm. when you're sort of like going through and like we're, we're getting all the politics out of the way, right? And yes. that was really only the first like 15 minutes. I guess there's a third thing that I didn't like. Okay. The, the, second, the second thing, uh, and I'll put this, this is the third thing, but I'm going to say it's the second thing. In a lot of these movies, and, and, and I've seen enough like Japanese, Korean, Chinese, you know, Asian cinema to, to like, 
I'm not I'm not like a standard white bread person who's like, oh, all the Asians, they look the same. No. Like, I can usually tell, like, a face is apart, right? Yeah. But damn, it didn't help when all of them had the same ass haircut and wearing the same ass robes. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I was pretty sure at one point, like, uh, Koyata, one of the oh, one of the characters, got killed by a short sword. But no, he he shows up right at the end there, despite the fact that I was pretty sure that was the guy who got killed over there. It might not make a lot of sense, but, like, if you watch the movie, like, uh, one of the characters gets a short sword thrown through his neck, and from the way he was talking and the way that he looked, I thought he was, like, this guy called Koyata, who is essentially, like, if you were making a D&D party, he's essentially a monk with, on uh, with like, uh, improvised weapon feet. Oh, no, that is the same guy. It was the same guy. Wait, really? Yes. Then who did he meet? It was Koyata. He didn't die, dude. He's... That, I was going to bring that up later, but I guess we'll address the elephant in the room. No, he's some sort of trickster spirit or demon or immortal warrior, like from Blade of the Immortal. He is he is not a mortal man. Oh. No, and it's not necessarily <laughs> the fact that that's, that's a fact. That is my headcanon fan theory. Because, like, you see him... So, like, he's an interesting character because he's clearly the comic relief character, right? Who, like, joins the party. He is, like, um... Oh, God, what's his name? Like, the main... The guy who plays Yujimbo, um... I mentioned him a bunch in, like, another episode, but, like, the guy who plays Mifune? Yujimbo... Yeah, uh, Toshiro Mifune. He is the Toshiro Mifune character from Seven Samurai, who is, like, the oafish, like, I've got the cool big sword, I'm the cool dude walking around, like, I'm not really a samurai, but I'm with these guys sort of thing. He He's that character. He's, he's comedic, right? There's this scene, right? Or you get into the town that they're going to defend. Like, he get, he gets with the samurai, and he's like, oh, I want the women. And he's, like, talking about all of these, like, he's, like, talking about this woman that he has. Like, it, it's like, yeah, you know. Upashi. Upashi. He's like, I just want to go back. You know, it's like, I got to be away from Upashi for a while. But it's like, I want to see Upashi. Like, he's clearly got the, some sort of, like, star-crossed lover sort of thing. Like, you usually have in, like, a lot of these, like, mythologies, right? Especially in Japanese mythologies. Oh, yes. Where it's like, I can't see this person, but I love this person. But they hate me. I hate them, but not as much as I love them. But they hate me, but not as much as they love me. But we can't be with each other right now because we're she's with someone else. But yes. we really we're meant for each other, like right? That that's like a thing mm -hmm. that you have in like not just that, but like Greek mythology stuff like that. It, it, but it's more prevalent, as far as I'm aware, in like Japanese mythology. There are definitely some Japanese mythologies that have that kind of story. Yes. Yeah. So the the my thought is is that like the first time that you see him where they're like they're gonna get rid of him these samurai literally take giant branches and just bang him over the head with it to like try to knock him out and they do it twice within the span of like three seconds this man should be basically dead yeah he's just like uh, he like, just stands there he like takes they hit him with and styrofoam. he's like what yeah they basically are hitting him with these giant almost logs <laughs> And he's, like, taking it like he's, like, literally they hit him with styrofoam. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, the first thing where it's, like, oh, it's just sort of a comedic value. But then you do see him get, he, the, the, the big bad evil guy throws a short sword straight through his neck and he passes out. And then he is, at the very end of the film, there. Now, again, the reason why I think he is, like, sort of a weird mythological character is that one, he's like this weird trickster spirit who's probably trapped up in this sort of thing. They get him down from a thing. He's probably put there by like some locals for probably a good reason, right? Mm -hmm. And probably the reason is because he's more than likely a sex fiend. <laughs> because you see him later when they go to the thing is that 
you know, he's like this menace to society. He literally like finds like this this brothel. Mm-hmm. He literally goes through all the prostitutes, and they're all absolutely exhausted. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this one again. And, like, the guys, like, who runs it, he's like, no, you can't. They're all spent. And he's like, you know, none of them have the stamina of Upashi, you know? Like, there are these women are all weak and stuff like that. And then he proceeds, like, the guy, like, he's standing buck-ass naked in front of this guy. And the, and the guy who runs it, who's an older gentleman, looks up at him and he's like, you have a fantastic member. And the guy, like, because he, he, he's clearly in, like, a, just a state, right? Yeah. The next thing you see is just him banging this old dude. <laughs> There was 100% more gay sex in this movie than I thought there would be. Indeed. Although, I will say... It was a very funny moment. (laughs) It was actually hysterical. Though, Koyata is technically not gay, though. Because he was the one giving, not the one receiving. Yeah, yeah. And and that's... But see, here's the thing, though. Like, he has mythological stamina. Mm -hmm. He is is mythologically tough, right? He's supernaturally tough, supernaturally, like stamina he clearly comes back not as just a revenant and then he goes off and he's like i think i'll see you pashi now like mm-hmm. and he basically just wants to meddle in the affairs to know what it's like to be like in a in a fight with samurai he's clearly a trickster spirit yeah that's of fair, some right? kind i suppose or maybe just possessed by a spirit because well, that, that's a that's a thing that well, happens in Japan. You know, you get like a like a fox spirit or something. Mostly, it's with women, but like you you get it, mm-hmm. right? And he's got other horrible disfigurations. He still has the scar on his neck. Because I went back and I looked, and I'm like, yeah, he does have the scar on his neck. Like his <laughs> ears all messed up. He's got giant scars on his side. It's a lot like Menji from Blade of the Immortal, mm. where you know, oh, he's he's got some sort of thing like where he just can't die, huh? Yeah, I guess so. So this is maybe like a crossover movie. <laughs> maybe. Like, I, I totally but he's missed, a minor character. I totally missed that scar. I did, I did not see it. No, but he's he's one of the ones where you're like, yes, you, you can kind of tell he's different. But like I'm talking about like the guys who are like, I'm pretty certain that a couple of these guys were actually twins. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you could tell like the, like the main ones, like, you know, the... The main guy, you could tell him because he was a little older. And then you had like his nephew, who's the guy who ended up being the only real one alive of the of the assassins of the samurai. <laughs> uh, and then you also had um, the sort of like I guess the the actual like in his prime badass samurai who had the young Jedi apprentice. Yeah, you know those two were kind of more unique. But like yeah, once you started getting into the other ones, you're like, nah, they all have the same haircut, same robe. Like the only reason that you can tell them apart is that like. Some of them are, what, a couple of them were slightly fatter. Oh, the guy with the spear, too. You could tell him apart. Oh, yeah, because, well, like, like, he was a fat guy with a spear. You could you could always tell where he was. Yeah, but, like, for the most part, there were, like, five or six of them that were like, man, these guys are just carbon copies of each other. They're going to die. Like, you knew that they were going to die. Like, they're fodder. Yeah. In this battle. Yeah, I mean, you might as well have called them Yoshi, Hoshi, Toshi, Boshi, and Doshi. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that's probably offensive somehow. Possibly, but is it not true? You're not wrong. But, I mean, so that that's my second thing, is that, like, yeah, it was a little bit hard to follow at times, and that some of the characters were, they didn't really feel fleshed out, but I guess when you have a cast of 13 main characters, yes, some of them are not going to get a lot of screen time. Yeah. Right? Hmm. And then the, the last and final thing that I think was... It was definitely not an oversight. It was 100% a clear intentional choice, and I'm not sure if I liked it, but I think here's the reason. The soundtrack was a banger, dude. Mm-hmm. 
until they started like they dropped their like wet their bows and started fighting with swords and then there was no music until they killed the big bad guy (laughs) that felt weird to me and i know that it's an intentional choice for it to be sort of more visceral and real right because it was such a viscerally real like this was like you know how you see like like you're an anime fan right Yes, sir. And I've seen, like, sword fights in animes where they're, like, really... And, and you know, obviously, like, I've seen other Japanese sword fights, right? Where they're meant to be a little bit more flourishy and, like, you know, stuff like that. No, this was down dirty... This was down and dirty in the trenches sort of fighting, dude. Yeah, the, like, this is the kind of fighting that samurai... Like, if you're going to be a samurai and you have a sword, this is the kind of fighting that you're going to be doing. Yeah, you might also be a good duelist. But duel, but, uh, but fighting a duel and fighting against like five other guys with uh, with swords is an entirely different the, yeah. skill set. And I think that's actually at the end where like you know the main the main guy uh, Shin Shinso Shinzemon Shinzemon basically fights you know his counterpart. Yeah, that's um, uh, Hanbei, I believe. Hanbei, yeah, Shinzemon fights Hanbei, and you see like they're going to have like it's just them and like the bad guy and then his nephew and like a couple henchmen right that's all that's left of like literally like 200 people yeah or more probably more and then literally they have this duel and he's like you know you you were always better than me in the dojo and then he just kicks mud in the guy's eyes and he's like but this isn't the dojo bitch and he like kills him and it's great yeah. it's a great moment there's some monologuing he kills the like the, the he and the bad guy kill each other and the nephew's the only one that lives and yes. yada 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 and it's 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 a good it's a good it's a great ending honestly and you know he's walking through the town some guy gets up tries to kill him he slashes him down and he's like you know what i think i'm gonna go to america or something and whatever and you know all this stuff and it's really sort of a nice poignant but satisfying ending and you actually like do see like the guy who's teaching his apprentice he's like you know when you're actually out there fighting you know you don't just you don't just use a sword to kill people you use your hands you use rocks you use a stick you use anything that you can get and you see him doing that as he's dying. Like, he's literally just beating a guy to death with a rock as he gets killed. And it's really a great scene. Yeah. Um, like, all of the people in this movie die well, even the characters that really don't have a big name. Like, it was funny because the fight was going so well for them for up until a certain point. It's just that they got so many little... It was like death by a thousand cuts, really, for them. Basically. Where it's like, you know, the fight was going so well for them at first. You're like, man, there's not really any kind of tension here. And then it's like, oh, no, it's starting to dwindle now. You're, you're getting you're getting all kinds of messed up but yeah it was it was just really fun but I think that was like the only thing is that it was such a good in your not even in your face but just such a banger soundtrack yeah and then it just stops and it's like I, I wish that they would have had maybe something that's the only complaint I had but I understand that I may want to watch this again just to see like maybe it was just me but I think it took me out of it a little bit too much. Um, and maybe that's just, again, I know it was a 100% intentional choice by Mika to not have something there to show that this was, this is visceral, down, dirty, real fighting. This is not flourishy, sort of, you know, elegant samurai film. This is yeah. just people trying to live sort you, of stuff. You ain't doing no EI drawing or anything. Like, no, swords are out. We're, we're fucking going. Speaking of which, I one of my favorite parts from the movie is where it's just like uh, the one guy tells his apprentice, like, hey... Kill everybody that comes behind me. And then he just like, they have like swords set up all over the place. And he's just like, we bought 50 swords for this movie. I'm going to use every single last one of them. 
Yeah, oh man, that I think that might be my second favorite scene, maybe, in the whole movie. Where, yeah, he just literally, like, every time he moves, he basically dodges, grabs another sword, pulls it out of the ground or the wood, and he slashes a guy, like, leaves it in the guy, grabs another sword, slashes him, and he just moves like like the wind. It is one of the, honestly, the coolest moments in a fight scene that I have ever seen. It was just so cool. So... This movie, again, Takashi Miike always has, like, in these sort of more serious movies, he always has some sort of, like, weird thing that is just so out there, right? And also, um, I guess that the bad guy in this movie was really bad. Like, they showed oh, him being yeah. real bad. But Like, he, uh, like, Nari, uh, Naritsugu, the, the, the bad guy of this film, like, everything from his introduction, like, all the way up until the end of his life... Like, you are shown, like, just how despicable of a person he is. They show on screen him killing a child. Yeah. Like, that's, that's like, a thing that no one does just because, like, in real life people are disturbed by it. No, they show him on film killing a child with a bow in front of, in front of, like, their parents. Yeah, his dying parents, mind you, but still, his parents. Yeah, and the parents, who are still not quite dead yet, live to see... Their child get killed in front of them. Like yeah. he is a bad guy. But like yeah. the so I'm gonna the, my favorite scene. I'm gonna set up a little bit. So basically how how the the main sort of like guy you know who is because the whole politics of this is that he's like the the bastard son of the former shogun, the brother of the current shogun. The current shogun wants to put him on the council in a in a major like big yeah. capacity, right? And he's yeah. like the head of a, a head of like a big clan. Yeah, but this guy has done so much despicable shit, not just to, like, the peasantry, but to nobles, uh, to, like, noble families as well, that basically the justice minister is like, oh, no, we can't have this guy on the throne because the second he gets on the throne, we're having a civil war. Yeah, and he's like, and he, he's like, no, I, and I, he can't do anything about it legally, so he has to, like, go to subterfuge. That's where he goes to Shinzemon, who is, like, a renowned sort of kind of retired but renowned samurai right yeah and he's like hey well i got one one final job for you you know and this is basically like because this is like the era of peace in japan like there are no wars like there are not a lot of like samurai there's a few ronin here and there who are like going around doing like you know protecting people yeah. from bandits like it's stuff like that it's yeah, an like, era of peace yeah like basically like this is like literally just before like they go into like i think it's called the meiji restoration and that's basically where they get rid of all the shoguns and the daimyos and just start going to where they would be up until like 1945, essentially. Yes, yes, and that—that's—they actually mention that at the very end of the film in the, um, in the thing. It's like, hey, this because you know, it was set like in 1844, um, so it was like right before the Meiji Restoration. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's a big political shift. But anyway, like otherwise, if this didn't happen, there would be just a ton of like chaos and whatnot. So he, he gets this guy and they, that's the whole premise. He gets to keep the team together. But to convince this guy that this guy is as bad as he is, right, he brings in this, like one of this guy's victims who literally had her arms cut off, arms and legs cut off, was basically used as a sex slave. And then when he was done with her, threw her out and then cut out her tongue. Yes. And like, and then... The scene is that, like, he asked her, well, hey, what, because she was a noble woman, mm -hmm. right? Not just a peasant. She was a noble woman. And she says, hey, what happened to your family? And she takes in her mouth, like, the calligraphy pen. And while crying blood, writes on a piece of parchment, total massacre. 
And then and then she holds it up and shows him, or they hold it up and show him, and he's like, "Oh my god, we have to do something about this." And like, the best he part, he literally of, starts shaking. He literally at starts this. shaking at this. Like it's so good. The acting is so good in this movie. Ugh. But so like when when they set up this trap, they basically rent out this whole town and are like, "All right, we're going to literally burn your town down, guys. Here's like just a shitload of money." Yeah, and the guy's just like, ah, no, fuck it. Once you're done with this town, you're done. You're not coming back. So we'll just come back and build it back. Yeah, we'll build back better, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, So thanks for the money, by the way. So literally, they turn this town into a death trap so that once the people go in, they can't go out. Yes. And that's how the movie starts. And basically, like, they're up on the rooftop shooting arrows down at these people, raining fire. They're hoping to get lucky with, like, a good shot. But, yeah. like... Naritsugo, he has, like, 200 men versus, like, 13. And they think it's going to be 70 men yeah but like he stalls and rallies some troops so it's like 200 instead of 70 if it was 70 it would have been like nah these guys could have taken him but it was 200 so like literally what happens is like um shinzaemon along like, with the other samurai are standing on this rooftop yeah right and, with bows yeah and shinzaemon had like up until like the point where he's talking about like shinzaemon doesn't say a word like his uh number two guy is saying everything to like uh, naritsugu before they start raining down the arrows. Yeah. And then literally there's this moment where it's like, Haha, what are you, it's like, what are you going to do? It's like, you know, Narutsuka's like, yeah, you guys can't do anything. What are you going to do? And then literally he pulls out the scroll and he just stands there. And it's like this good, it's like a five second shot. I, I literally, and I'm listening to this on like headphones and watching it on a tablet. I just literally exclaim, holy shit. In the middle of like, you know, the evening. And it just says it's this it's the scroll that the lady said and it's just total massacre. Yeah, like and then and then they and then they drop it and then they just start rain like jumping down from the rooftops, massacring these two hundred men who are not in any way prepared for this. Oh yeah. It like, was no, when that sign came up, I was breathless. Ah, that was that was one of the best and most like it was it, the setup was there from the beginning. And they did not leave it, like, they did not drop it at all. Like, they did not drop the ball with that. It is such a good callback, because you're like, oh, this is... Because, like, that's just something that sticks into your mind, where it's like, they showed the lady, like, she had no arms, no legs. Like, like literally naked. Literally no naked. No arms, like, no legs. And, like, crying blood, no tongue. Yeah, like, just crying out in pain and anguish. Like, that sticks in your head, right? And, yeah. like, you remember, like, him shaking, where it says total mat, And, like, you actually see, like um naritsugu like he actually is slightly like shaking a little bit so it's like a really like it's the same role reversal where it's like you know oh man this is this is just like the full fury of of the law here coming down on this guy and it was such a great moment that was my favorite moment in the film but you're right like the moment where they're like where he's like pulling the swords out of everything and killing things like there's just so many good moments in this yeah. movie and this is there is like i don't know if you've actually if you actually timed it i didn't but there was like an hour of just straight like this battle. Yes, it was an hour. It was a solid hour yeah. of of nonstop battle. By the way, yeah, two hundred uh, two hundred and eleven men dead in like in like one hour. Yes, and that's not to say like there were still like fight scenes before this. Oh, like, that's true. There were like a couple a... like there was like at least a minor skirmish and then, like a few like little sort of other yeah. Like a couple of ba uh, bandit meetings, like one where they just like while they were on the road, they got accosted by Hanbei's mercenaries. It's uh, the, like a lot of fighting in this movie, but yeah. that one-hour battle just 
I, I think that this was the best battle that I have ever seen on screen. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the only other real battle that comes to mind where I'm like, I was really impressed by it was like sort of the end of the Patriot, dude. Like that's... Oh yeah, no, like the, thinking back on it, that is a very much impressive battle. It, yeah, it's very impressive. I mean, like there <laughs> is some like cheesy CGI in there where they're like, there's literally not thousands of like soldiers where it's like you see like columns of soldiers marching and they're clearly CG. Yeah. But like where they actually do the practical sort of fighting, it's a really good visceral sort of fight and it's a great a great sort of like you know hey these guys find each other on this big massive battlefield it's a great fight i mean it's obviously not as long but it's still a big impressive fight um i'm trying to think if there's really any other like because i've seen a fair amount of war movies but none of them really have like like even like sword and board stuff like i i would i honestly the only other movie that i would say may have like a more impressive fight scene than this might be um the lord of the rings the two towers ah uh, yeah strong contender because i think Hel the battle of helm's deep feels better to me than like like you know the return of the king the return of the king is almost like an epic sort of battle and it is a very long battle too it's not quite as long as this but it is a solid like probably 40 minutes of the movie and there's a lot that leads up to it that make it really epic and good. It, it is a very big pitch battle, but it feels like there's not, like, it's not just all, like, real people doing stuff, right? Whereas Helm's Deep, like, yeah, you have CGI of, like, you know, again, like in The Patriot, where it's, like, the bigger battlefield, mm -hmm. right? Where there's, like, people kind of, like, you see them down the wall where there's, like, CGI elves and CGI orcs and there's, like, fields of orcs in the back. But all of the major fighting at Helm's Deep was done by real people. Yes, sir. And it was all practical. And that's what I'm talking about. I think from a scope perspective, probably the more impressive battles are probably, you know, in The Return of the King and in um, uh, and in The Patriot. But as far as, like, an actual, like, battle scene where there are very few practical, very few CGI effects and it's almost all practical and it's all done by real actors, um, I guess I can also throw in another Mike film, um, Blade of the Immortal 2, which I've been talking about nonstop, but the end fight of the blade of the immortal is like the same way where it's just like hundreds if it's probably like 500 extras in the end of that <laughs> that just get completely mown down yes sir but this one like it felt different right because these were not immortals right yeah and these were, were not like fantasy orcs as, as cool as they were right these like you know hundreds of maori men fighting against like a bunch of dudes dressed up as elves mm -hmm. in costume which is so impressive in helm's deep this just had this feel of realism and i think that might be where like just having no score was like maybe a maybe the real call which even though, though i was kind of taken out of it for a moment like man it was just such an impressive fight yes sir like everything about it the choreography the just just all about it um, like I said, I, I would, I would put this up there with, you know, like I said, in that pantheon of like, you know, best fight battle, not fight scenes, but battle scenes in any movie that I've ever seen. Yeah. If not the best. So I guess, I don't know. Do you, do you want to, is there anything you had before on this before we, I guess, move on, like maybe to do a double feature, like do a, or rate this? I mean, like, I don't know. There's, a, there's a lot of things that I have left unsaid that like, I mean, I'm not really sure where I would like to begin with all that, but I would like to say that Naritsugu is like 
a despicable person. And I could not get, uh, get enough of how evil he actually was. He was an incredible bad guy. Yeah, like, just while he's killing these noble people, like, with the bow, he just goes like, you know, I'm not going to get any punishment for this. Kind of interested in feeling what a beheading would be like. Yeah, which, <laughs> spoilers, you know, he kind of does. Yeah. Um, and, and, and realistically, too, like, it, it's such a funny thing is that he's playing such a bad guy. And you think, like, well, why don't these, like, noble samurai do anything about it? Well, it's because, like, he is their lord. And that yes. is the samurai code. Yeah, like... That's the whole point of it, is that these... They are literally, like, the 13 assassins are actually, like, committing, like, very unspeakable, like, sort of, like, faux pas when it comes to, basically, social hierarchy yeah. in Japan. It's not even close to how it would be in, like, uh, America, but basically just imagine a bunch of bandits waiting on the road, waiting to kill, like, a, uh, like a senator. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if, like, you know, you know in history where, where you had, like, uh, you know, uh, George W. Bush and the CIA yeah. killing JFK? It's literally that. <laughs> but instead of, like, you know, and they didn't have to cover it up because literally everyone died except for <laughs> one guy who just fucked off. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, unlike in America where they had to cover up the fact that you know, George Bush and CIA killed JFK or whoever did it, and they framed poor Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, technically, I believe it is stated in the film that they did actually cover it up. Because, no, yeah, like, it was. They they did actually cover it up. They basically because like, like uh, he was like uh, Matsudaira Naritsugu, and like in actual history, he supposedly died in like uh, eighteen thirty six. Yeah, he they they said he basically died of like, but yeah, they did cover it up. But basically, my point is like, it's not like oh, haha. Ha, which again, no, uh, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the story of JFK's death. Look into it, sheeple. Indeed, unironically. But uh, yeah, like in this, it's like yeah, it's literally like that. It's literally like the CIA killing JFK for yeah. whatever reason. But if JFK was a literal psychopath who murdered children and, like, raped people yeah. on the regular. Yeah. Also, one of my favorite scenes with him was, like, one of the last scenes you got with him was, like, I think one of his soldiers got crazy and Hanbei, and Hanbei essentially cut him down. And, and he's just like, so this is what war's like. Hey, when I get to be second in command, let's have another war. This is gonna be great. Yeah, he literally is like, I will end the Age of Peace and bring back wars. Because this is cool. Like, I think one of the most understated, like, like scenes with him in it was really just the scene where, you know, he's, like, he's eating dinner with chopsticks. <laughs> and then he just pours and out he pours all everything this... onto a plate and starts eating it, shoveling it into his face. Which is, again, a big faux pas. But, like, it, he's shown to do all of these things that are just culturally so despicable and unthinkable. But because he is in the position he's in... He nobody, can get away with it. No one can, can say about it. Yeah. Other than literally create, do just as unthinkable faux pas. In fact, probably more unthinkable faux pas of having samurai who are honor bound to not do this sort of thing literally become assassins. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is insane to me. But yeah, he is such a good bad guy. He's one of the best like bad guys that I've seen in a film in a long time. Yeah. And even when, like, Hanbei gets killed, like, his number one bodyguard, like, like his, like, Hanbei's head comes off. It, like, rolls over to, like, Naritsugu. And Naritsugu's like, 
oh man, that's neat. And then he kicks his head back towards his body. And Sinzaemon's yeah. like, what the fuck, dude? You can't do that. It's like, holy shit, you kicked his head. Like, not like, oh my god, all of my friends are dead. No, you kicked his head after he's dead. What the fuck, man? And, and Naritsuku's response is iconic. He's just like, you can you can kick my head if you get it. Yeah, which I thought was, like, like that's ice cold, dude. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, hey, I did it to your friend. You can do it to me after I'm dead. Well, it's funny because he was he was still, up until that point, even though he was the only person left over, he was completely confident that he could defeat uh, Shinzaemon. And and he did, like, he literally stabbed the guy. But Shinzaemon yeah. knew he was dying, right? Yeah. And so he so didn't like... care. So he literally just, like, did the thing where it's like, all right, you stab me. I stab you because I'm now close enough. Yeah. And like the difference is like apparent from the stab because like while Shinzaemon like basically has his resolve like keeping him standing, the second he pokes Naritsugu through the, the through the stomach, he just like oh and like it's like a it's like a good five minutes of him like crawling on the ground in the mud bleeding like oh my god I'm in so much pain and like he's he's shown to be then at that point like just a miserable pathetic human being whereas Shinzaemon is like yeah. stoic stone faced he's yeah. dying with dignity and grace yeah to to put it in kind of like maybe a certain kind of cadence he is basically a sheep in lion's clothing yes yes he and and like i think that's what really makes him such a good bad guy because without like that like he has so much confidence but again it's just because like he feels like he's untouchable and that's really what makes a lot of like this movie great is because when you set it up and you have this thing where it's like we, we can't touch this guy like that's like these guys are just breaking so many laws and faux pas that like you know and social like like things that like like literally like man they they would be ostracized yes the um, of course, the difference being that Shinzaemon is doing it for the good of the country, whereas Naritsugu is doing it only for his own personal pleasure and gain. Yes, exactly. Oh, man, this was, it, it was a good bad guy. It was a great ensemble cast. Like, all of the good guys were, like, really fun. At least the one, when, when you got to kind of see them do their own thing, um, you had, like, practical effects, explosions. I guess my, my big question is, what did you think of your first Takashi Miike film? Like, dude, if the man produces quality on this level with just three weeks, I want to see what he could do with, like, six. Well, you're never going to get that because he never spends more than three weeks on a damn movie, it seems like, dude. It's true, but I am willing to watch more movies of his. Speaking of which, when I was looking up, like, the soundtrack for this film, because it's something I like to do when I like a soundtrack. Yeah, you're a soundtrack fiend. Like, uh, the, the soundtrack was done by Koji Endo. And Koji Endo is, like, the best way I can describe him is he's basically Takeshi Miike's, like, go-to soundtrack man. Because, like, every film that I found him credited under seemed to be, like, uh, directed by Takeshi Miike. Although he also did do a, uh, did do a video game soundtrack in, like, uh, way back when called Kingsfield. Which is, like, one of the first ones produced for, by, uh, from software... Who are the, the guys the who Dark did Souls. Dark like, Souls, Demon Souls? So that's an interesting bit. Huh. Though the more interesting thing, now tell me, Mike, have you ever watched a film by Takeshi Miike known as Sukiyaki Western Django? That's one of the ones that I haven't, but it's on my list. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to watch it with you because, like, I found it while while, uh, while looking for it, and like 
it is a samurai western, or it is a western, uh, like it is a western directed by uh, Japanese people with with some samurai stuff mixed into it. I am interested in seeing where that goes. Well, we'll put it on the short list of films for the next time because yeah, I've heard of it and I wanted to see. Like, dude, Takashi Miike makes so many films. I could literally. Here's the thing, Dan. I could do a podcast about literally just Takashi Miike films. And by the time I wa- I went through all, like, up to this point, I think he's done, like, 110 films mm-hmm. up to this point. Because Blade of the Immortal, which was in 2016, I believe, was his 101st, or his 100th film. And so wow. he's made films since then. I could literally do an entire podcast on nothing but Takashi Miike films. And I still would have content probably, like, I, I would have at least 100 episodes if I did one on every film. And that's not to mention his short films, his TV series that he's directed, like, multiple episodes of. And then, if he just keeps making movies, like, I'll never have, like, he makes, like, two movies a year, dude. <laughs> yeah, the, I'll never run out. Never, never want for nothing again. Um, but, yeah, so, like, he makes just, like, gobs of movies. Uh, there's another one where, um, and I, I've been meaning to watch this for a while, but there's, uh, I believe, The Happiness of the Katakuris. It's, like, a horror musical. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I just, I, the dude, the dude just, like, every time, the more I watch of him, like, he, he doesn't miss, like, as far as I'm aware. Now, I, I, he, there is some variation fluctuation with it. Like, I mean, he does, like, a lot of other things. Like, um, one of my other favorite movies of his is, uh, you probably wouldn't like it as much, but it's Ichi the Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, sort of, like, one of his gangster movies. And Ichi is, like, just as despicable as, um, uh... Naritsugu? Naritsugu. If not, maybe more. Wow. And then he did the, the classic audition, which is sort of like the horror film about the, the guy who like is dating and stuff like that and trying mm-hmm. to find somebody. But anyway, he's done so much like varied stuff. And then again, like I said, he's done like kids movies. Mm-hmm. Like he's done, he's done comedies. He's done superhero films. I think he actually has one where it's like, they're like, God, I can't remember what it is. Like it's Zebra Man. Uh, I think he did. Yeah. He did. I think he did Zebra Man. If I recall, like, but yeah, he does like gangster film. He does everything, dude. I'm down to watch that movie with you uh, whenever. So I'm glad you enjoyed this Takashi Miike film, although I think it might be one of my favorites. So depending on what you're into at the time, like, I don't know, he's got something for you, but I hate for you to start so high and work maybe backwards. Um, I mean, fair, but like, you know, this is fine. If it turns out I don't like uh, his stuff after this, like, I will still be glad to have watched this movie. I think you as a weeb will enjoy Blade of the Immortal because it is based on a manga. And it does feel like kind of like a comic book movie. But like, it's like, it's somewhere between this and a comic book movie. Okay, now I have to watch this movie. Like, if I wasn't dead set on watching it before, I certainly am now. Uh, up until I watched this one, it, Blade of the Immortal was my favorite Takashi Miike film, I think. This one might be better, but it might just also be because I'm also in a very much like sword and board, like, like I recently rewatched, you know, Seven Samurai. So I'm like, I'm in that mood, dude. Yeah. Anyway, is there anything, this is a very, it's a fairly long movie. Would you double feature this with anything or do you have any other points you want to make? I mean, I suppose if I were to double feature this with anything, I feel like I'd have to go for like some kind of, personally for me, I'd feel like I'd go with a Western, maybe a fistful of dollars. Which, fun fact about that movie, Toho, the people who made Yojimbo, like, sued a fistful of dollars for, like, uh, basically 15% of worldwide profits and 100% distribution rights for, like, uh, for that film in Japan. They ended up getting more money from a fistful of dollars than Yojimbo, the movie that they espoused, was remade. 
That's actually kind of funny. Well, you know what? Now that you're saying that, yeah, like you, yeah, it is kind of a, it is kind of like, yeah, they did lift it. Yeah, like, Kuro, like even Kurosawa said, like, hey, Sir, uh, hey Sergio, you made a pretty good film, but that film was mine, dude. Man, I kind of want to watch those side by side now and see like, and see like what what it is, because I I actually think I maybe like Yojimbo more than Fistful of Dollars, like. Hmm. I I like the the sort of like the the um the man with no name trilogy but I think as like a spaghetti western like the more I watch spaghetti westerns the the I think that those are maybe like weaker than some other ones like I would say like once upon a time in the west is a better spaghetti western than any of those 3. Hmm. Fair enough. Anyway, I I don't know. Uh aside from that um I don't know what I would double feature this with. I think I would probably want something maybe a little shorter honestly. I would probably go through some other sort of like Takashi Miike property and be like, all right, we're just going to keep it Takashi Miike and we're going to do this, which is a, a basically historical epic, and then just get one of his wackier things. Mm-hmm. Like just throw out like a comedy or throw out like, you know, like Ichi the Killer or something like that. Because like the man has such a backlog of films that like you could just watch anything and like you could probably pair it. I mean, otherwise like... Yeah, I, I might put it with a Western. If I'm going to go the Western route, I'd probably put it with maybe more so like, I know I mentioned this a lot, but like I've mentioned it recently a lot because it's been in my mind, but like Rio Bravo, because mm-hmm. it has a very much like a similar feel, right? Where they're like, it could arguably be a little bit of not really a remake, but it's very similar in a, like a lot of what it does um, in the, the bare bones plot of the things. Yeah, fair enough. Where they're like, you know, defending this place against this big bad guy who's coming into town basically the plot of that one is they arrest a guy like a big bad you know like the big bad's brother and then the big bad comes for the little brother and they've got to defend the jail until the marshals get there Mm -hmm. and then like it's basically like you know them defending a town it's not necessarily to kill this guy it's to keep this guy alive to send him on for justice but it's it's similar in a sense so and it's a howard hawks film and it's you know it's a western so i'm gonna go that way i'd either keep it with Mike and just keep something like weird and out there that counterpoints it or keep it in the same vein but in america and just do a western like real bravo so i don't know on a scale of zero to five snake plissken what you thinking well originally i was going to uh, mark this a 4.0 but with all this talking and all this thinking about it i think i'm gonna i'm gonna up my score i'm gonna say it's a 4.5 for me, this is a five. This is maybe in my top ten. Wow. I was just impressed by this movie. And I think that even the more I think about it, too, like the thing that I didn't really like about it, which was the soundtrack not really being, which was a banger, mm-hmm. not being existent during the, the fight scene, which was an hour long. I don't know that it hurt it, but I think that it emphasized its visceral, like, realness, which is, I think, the point. Yeah. And as much as I didn't necessarily like it in the moment, I can still think back on all of those fight scene moments and like, man, they're all so good, even though they didn't have any music over it to make me like them more. So if this was like, if this had music over the fight scenes that was just as much as of a banger as the other stuff was, this would maybe be like a off the charts of 5.5, dude. No, this was, this was definitely a five for me. I enjoyed the heck out of it and I would watch it again. Uh, probably in short order so i don't know anything else you want to add before we get out of here uh not really no i think i'm good cool well uh we'll see you i guess in the next one goodbye and i wonder if it really was i think it was always was show business i think they were pretending to be factories and it was still show business
I heard myself speaking these terrible corny lines, and there I was stuck with $350,000 worth of show that I had to get on somehow. Plus, at the time, oh, they were real jerks. Plus, plus, at the time, really pieces of work. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Plus, plus, at the time. Did you see Armageddon? I assure you that I would rather have been shot. I really did, because he was a monster. But they all were, or almost all of them, those guys. He came on as a monster, you know. He snarled at you, you know, like that. Plus, plus, at the time. He was a monster, you know. Plus, plus, at the time. I assure you that I would rather have been shot. Follow us on Twitter at MWNS Podcast or contact us at MWNS Podcast at ProtonMail.com. All music used in this episode is produced by Young Carts and used with license. <laughs>